Schimmel reading Rumi says, it is easy to see every act in life as a sacrifice. Every act. Perhaps that's rhetoric talking. One can get a little carried away when writing about mystics. But if we begin to focus on sacrifice, it does begin to appear everywhere. In firefighters, in the medical staff endangering themselves to save others from COVID-19. For that matter, in everyone who is working in a hospital or a grocery store. Bodhisattvas, we know, sacrifice their own entry into nirvana in order to free all beings. But one doesn't have to be a bodhisattva to put others first and sacrifice something of oneself. Most parents will tell you that they sacrifice sleep, professional advancement, and time with their partners, and countless other things for the sake of their children. The beautiful song, My Father by Judy Collins, tells of a man who dreamed that he and his family would one day live in Paris. No doubt if he were on his own, he could have cut loose and gone, but Raising three daughters, he kept toiling in the mines of Ohio and never did see France. His sacrifice made it possible for his children to realize their dreams. No doubt someone made similar sacrifices for you and, and you for someone else. Maybe you gave up a good job to go back to school and do something that better expresses your values. Maybe you regularly give up comfort and endure conflict in order to make a more just society. And here you are, in your own home, instead of our taking hands with each other and singing alone, instead of in this mass of much-loved voices, that's a sacrifice as well. We ask one another to wear masks, to stay home and endure isolation in order to protect each other and, and to bring a swifter end to this pandemic. That's sacrifice too. We know from these and countless other examples that we must sometimes sacrifice something dear to ourselves for the sake of something even more important. Even gifts are a form of sacrifice, giving something of value at the cost of our money or our time for the sake of a relationship and the well-being and happiness of someone else. So sacrifice of many kinds, often smaller kinds, is ubiquitous. But just the same, we are not always so comfortable with sacrifice. In school, at least here in the countries of the World War II allies, kamikaze pilots sacrificing their lives are viewed with a certain horror. When we learn about them, there is some admiration there, but also suspicion. It smells of fanaticism, of holding life cheap. And there may be no more disturbing tale in the world's scriptures than the one of Abraham following God's command to sacrifice his son. A story told in Genesis in the Jewish and Christian Bibles and in Surah As-Safat in the Quran. It is that story that inspires the festival Muslims are celebrating today, Eid al-Adha, festival of the sacrifice. 
On this holiday, which comes near the end of Ramadan and to close the Hajj, the uh, pilgrimage to Mecca from all over the world, people all over the world who are faithful to Islam sacrifice a sheep or goat or cow or they may sponsor such a sacrifice elsewhere if they don't want to carry out animal sacrifice in their own yard. They seek to devote themselves to God as completely and unquestioningly as Abraham did in the story. In both versions, the child survives. God offers an animal in his stead, and so his life is spared. But the father was willing to carry out the sacrifice at the cost of his own beloved son. In one version, he is in the act of lowering the knife. This willingness is absolutely central to the story. Submission to God, obedience to God's will. Well, that's the meaning of the word Islam. And the word Islam also asserts that that submission is the way to peace. Salam from the same root. The Muslim version is notably different than the one in Genesis because in the Quran, when Abraham has a dream, Ibrahim has a dream through which God tells him to sacrifice his son, he goes to the son to talk it over. Interestingly, the text doesn't identify which son. Muslim tradition generally holds that it is Ismail, father of the Arab peoples, but some voices within the tradition argue that, is, that it is Ishaq, Isaac. In any case, he speaks to his son. He says, I have had this dream. And the child tells him unhesitatingly that they must, they must both carry out God's will. And so in the Quranic version, it is an act of self-sacrifice. And I think we're all a lot more comfortable with self-sacrifice than sacrificing someone else or something precious to someone else. And yet the story is very complex, even so, disturbing. And it's not so foreign to Western culture. Our fiction is full of such stories, such as the gift of the Magi, which lauds the love of an impoverished couple, each of whom sacrifices their most prized possession in order to have a Christmas gift for the other. In the Fellowship of the Ring, Boromir sabotages the fellowship with his pride, but then he redeems himself by fighting a whole band of orcs by himself, refusing to flee, fighting on past all hope. He knows he is dooming himself in order to give the hobbits time to escape. Even children's fiction sings the praise of sacrifice. Any chess player will tell you that sacrifice is part of the game, and in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, as Ron, Harry, and Hermione take the parts of pieces on a great enchanted chessboard, Ron, playing the part of a knight, sacrifices himself so that the others can go on, so that the goal of defeating Voldemort may be reached. He does survive, but he didn't know. Like Abraham, he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. And when I was young, I was enthralled by a science fiction novel, I won't give the title so as not to spoil it, in which the heroes try to vanquish the invaders by dropping bombs on their citadel, but bomb after precious bomb slides off the domed roof and explodes harmlessly. 
They are on the verge of retreating in defeat and despair. It's only when one of our heroes hand delivers a bomb, cradling it against his body as he crouches on the roof, that they are victorious. His self-sacrifice is the ultimate act of courage. And you know, although in school I only learned about the kamikazes and with that suspicious air to boot, really we feel the same about real life. The kamikazes were not the only fighters in the Second World War to take their devotion to the point of suicide. On the Allied side, the story of John R. Fox has become legendary. A young lieutenant leading an advance party into Italian territory where the German troops were advancing. He called upon his artillery to fire upon the town, directing them closer and closer to his own position, and they protested that they could not fire any closer without killing him. He repeated his order saying, fire it, there's more of them than there is of us. The artillery obeyed, killing not only him, but the allied men with him, and his sacrifice was credited in the words of his Medal of Honor citation with delaying the enemy advance until other uh, units could reorganize to repel the attack. So all these examples, are these people holding life cheap? Or did they value something even more than their own lives? Surely this is deeply admirable, disturbing, especially when others are also sacrificed, as in Fox's case. But the fact that we honor him as a hero testifies that we too value some things more than one life or even many lives. Now the story of Ibrahim, Abraham in the, um, in the uh, English translation is disturbing for many reasons. Each deserves a deeper exploration, but I want to just list them so that we can try to put them to one side. The arbitrariness of God's request. The needlessness of it. Are there not other ways to show one's devotion to God? In fact, has Ibrahim not already done so? Yes, he has. The fact that God would test his most devoted follower at all. There's the issue of the child's fear. There's the issue of the mother's ignorance of the loss she almost suffered. Each of these is a worthy concern. But having stated them, let's do what Rumi does. As a mystic, he zeroes in on what he sees as the message at the heart of the story, a simpler message. Simpler, not easier to follow. The message that to grow near to the holy, we must give up our attachments to everything else. The lover will not answer the door until we have sacrificed even ourselves. Shemal says again, Mavlana, Rumi, often uses the imagery of the Feast of Sacrifice during the pilgrimage to Mecca, Eid Adha. Eid Adha, that's the festival that we are in right now. He, he uses this imagery and he offers himself to the beloved as a fat and handsome sacrificial lamb. A later mystical poem makes a pun that Schimmel thinks Rumi would have appreciated. The heroine wants to become a sacrifice, which is called a korban, the sacrifice of the animal, 
She wants to become a korban in order to be karabani, near. Sacrifice means not only making something holy, but drawing near, drawing near, in this case, to God, to whatever is most holy. So are we comfortable even with that? And where does it leave an atheist? Should not even the most devout follower of God question things that seem to be divine commands? Now, Woody Allen is not a source I usually cite from the pulpit, but I think he pinpointed the chief problem when he parodied this episode long ago. His God says that Abraham's obedience doesn't prove his humility or faith, but rather, quote, it proves that some men will follow any order, no matter how asinine, as long as it comes from a resonant, well-modulated voice. Surely we must be very cautious before carrying out what we imagine to be God's will. But I don't think that's all that makes us uncomfortable. I think we're uncomfortable with sacrifice itself, even self-sacrifice, and despite the counterexamples I gave, maybe especially self-sacrifice. Gandhi said it was nothing to fear, that real sacrifice lightens the mind of the doer and gives him a sense of peace and joy, that it's really gives us our heart's desire. But I think in our deeply individualistic and capitalistic society, we are very mistrustful of this assurance. We only see the loss. We believe that the individual is central and that if we give up ourselves, if we surrender, sacrifice the I, we sacrifice everything. It's hard for us to believe that we must lose ourselves to find what is most precious, what we most truly need. And that is why I believe we have so much to learn from Eid al-Adha, the festival of the sacrifice. Rumi tries to convince us that God is not a dictator, not even a stern father, but the closest of friends, the most passionately desired, the one that we long for as lovers long for each other. But even if we accept that, that image of the divine, does it even work in our time, our place, our transactional, suspicious 21st century minds? There's so much assurance in our culture, in fact, in our religion, in our very North American, U.S. American, Unitarian, Universalist religion. There's so much assurance that the way to true love is, on the contrary, for each lover to assert their own I clearly. To be two solitudes, in Rilke's phrase. For example, a favorite wedding reading, one that I love and have heard in numerous weddings that I've officiated says, you were born together and together you shall be forevermore, but let there be spaces in your togetherness. And stand together yet not too near together, for the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. 
The writer of those beautiful words, Khalil Gibran, was also influenced by Islam and by Sufism in particular. And he is wise and his words are wise. And he is certainly not calling for any kind of self-immolation. But even he saw the necessity for us to sacrifice our attachment to the self in order to know, to really know our unity with another. Beginning with our closest friends, our lovers, our family, and moving on ideally out to the whole world. He says the reason that two lovers should leave spaces between them is so that the winds of the heaven, heavens may dance between them. Love should be, he says, a moving sea between the shores of your souls. And the reason that we should, in his words, give our hearts but not into each other's keeping is that only the hand of life can contain our hearts. Like Rumi before him, if not with the same passion, Gibran sees something beyond, something greater than the little self that loves. And the lovers should always be making room for that greater thing, that greater self, the self with a capital S, you might say, even as the little S selves diminish. It is the great self between and beyond us, the flame that burns when we allow oil and air to mix within us, that we may be able to glimpse if we sacrifice some of that attachment to the small self. As Dag Hammarskjöld said, we can be the point of combustion, the flashpoint where the light is born. He also said we are the lens in the beam. We don't create the divine light, but we can focus it or make it wider. And like these other mystics, he urged us not to interpose ourselves, our small s selves, into the great capital S self of which we can partake. If you seek yourself, he warned us, if you seek yourself, you prevent the oil and air from meeting in the flame. You rob the lens of its transparency. It's paradoxical. It's paradoxical and like paradoxes often are, I think it is difficult and true. to sacrifice oneself for something greater, for the greatest possible something. Now we're easily deceived. Are we really sacrificing ourselves for something greater? Or is it for our own ego? Is it the voice of God that Abraham hears? Or is it Satan? Or is it his own pride, his own delusion? For that matter, when John Fox sacrificed himself and his fellow soldiers to obliterate the, adva the advancing enemy, was he serving the cause of the Allies or himself? When kamikaze airmen blew themselves up with their planes, the better to destroy Allied ships, what cause did they serve? Caution would seem to be indicated 
in matters of self-sacrifice. And yet mystics are not known for their caution. Neither are heroes. We spent some time yesterday with another scripture about sacrifice in our in our uh, sacred text reading group we looked closely at the text that we heard as our centering words today Micah God saying this is what I want you to do immediately after saying in the previous two verses God saying I don't want your sacrifices I don't want all the bowls and oil in the world all those things that I command you to sacrifice I don't care about that. I want you to do justly and love kindness, mercy it's sometimes translated, and walk humbly before me. So let's pull back a moment and look at the context here. I don't want your sacrifices of animals and the fruits of the harvest, all those things that the Bible spells out one should sacrifice and that the people were sacrificing in the temple. But I think he's saying, not that those don't matter, but I don't want your sacrifices, the ones you're making. You're making them without this justice and love and humility. But I want you to make a different kind of sacrifice. And make no mistake, they are sacrifices as well. Rather than, or in addition to, these religious rituals, the sacrifices of your harvest, I want you to do justice. That means I want you to give up privileges, advantage, what is best for you. Instead, in each situation, I want you to do what is right. I want you to do justice. What is fair is not always going to be to your advantage, so sacrifice. Micah is saying, sacrifice your narrow self-interest for what is right. But more, I don't want you to settle for what is scrupulously fair. I want you to love kindness. And that means that you must bend over backwards for others, even when it means giving up what is, strictly speaking, your due. And so you must sacrifice first your advantage and then even what you are justly due. And beyond that, he goes on to say, I want you to walk in humility. Many translations that was shared in our group yesterday expand that as, as um, discretion. I want you to be discreet. I want you to be modest. This is not something you can show off. This is not something you can brag about, your sacrifice. So not only do I want you to give up your privilege and do what is just, not only give up even justice for yourself, but bend over backwards to be extra kind to others, extra generous beyond what they strictly deserve, I want you to be humble about it. I want you to surrender your will to the divine will, which is to care for others in all these ways then you will be walking humbly with my God, with your God. Then you will draw near. The song of Kabir promised us, speaking, I imagine to something like God, 
You, we, you are in us and we are in you. You are the supreme soul within the soul. All of these great teachers from so many traditions are telling us that the great soul, the capital S soul, is what we get when we stop focusing on the little soul, when we're willing to give it up, to give up all our attachments, all that we hold most dear, even ourselves. So many great teachers tell us that we must sacrifice what we think we want in order to have the greatest longing of our souls fulfilled. According to Islam, that longing takes us beyond the self. According to Buddhism, it takes us beyond even longing. And aren't they both true? Don't we glimpse that sometimes in moments of selfless giving? What great light might shine through us if we could stop focusing on ourselves and instead seek to be the place where the fire bursts forth. Maybe we will find out. Eid Mubarak, a blessed holiday to you, and blessed be.